Well, as probably everybody here, I think almost certainly everybody here knows by no, now my uh, routine procedure by the gastroenterologist didn't turn out so routine. It was routine right up until a man in a white lab coat came in, sat down, said, I'm afraid I have some bad news. It stops being routine for the person being told at that point. I have a uh, malignant tumor in my esophagus. I don't yet know the extent of the cancer or what my treatment options might be or what to expect going forward. But as I uh, said in an email to many of you this week, after letting the family know of uh, my diagnosis, uh, I was contacted by Alyssa's husband, Ben, through Sandy, uh, forwarding me emails. Um, I conducted their wedding ceremony. Thinking back, I conducted their wedding ceremony uh, on the Saturday before Eden, who was here, was born. You remember what a crisis that was. So that's a very, <laughs> you know, it was a memorable uh, few days there. But Ben's dad is an oncologist of some renown, regionally known, specializing in esophageal cancer and would like to take me as a pa patient. And so I've taken that as a gift, not just from the divorce. I, I am really appreciative of, you know, Ben for thinking of me and uh, Dr. DeVore for uh, wanting to take me as a patient. But I also take it as a gift of God, and I, and I will not, I won't refuse it. Uh, after telling the family Tuesday and Wednesday, I told the elders about the situation on Wednesday evening, and I, in consulting with them, and they agreed with me, I thought it best to get the word out to the rest of the church uh, Thursday by email. I didn't want to drop it on you. I know people have to be told, and they, people knew I was having something this week on Tuesday. I didn't want to drop it on you on at church today thinking and if thinking if I did you wouldn't hear anything else I had to say and that it would be better to let the news settle in a, at least a couple of days before Sunday but now even a couple of days later I, I still doubted with that kind of news that uh, I would be able to get you interested in first Corinthians 3 you know I'm preaching through first Corinthians I and uh, I, I think by next Sunday, hopefully, you, you know, we'll all have our minds wrapped around it a little bit better. And uh, I might be able to get you interested in 1 Corinthians 3, even though if I'm the one teaching it, whatever, I might have to teach about that. But today, as someone has said, I don't know who, but uh, it's in my head from somewhere. Better, sometimes it's better to grab the bull by the tail and face the situation. So... Uh, and even besides that, it feels, it really feels like a prime, prime, prime teaching situation after all. I know that people have been and will be praying for me. And, and, and listen, for every prayer you offer up, I will be more, I am, and will be more thankful than I'll be able to convey. But I want to take my teaching time today to talk about how you might pray for me and recognizing now it's it's not all just you know about me and and me specifically I think I think what I have to say to you about how to pray for me it really is also how to pray for yourself uh, in your own times of crises and it's really how to pray for every Christian you know it is confined to Christians 
most of what I have to say today, not all of it, but some of it will apply to us. Most of it will apply to us in a way that doesn't apply to everybody across the board. Just it's how we how we pray for believers in their times of crisis. So while I'm going to speak of these things in a very personal way, and you have to forgive me for that, I I told uh, someone earlier. I said I've been uh, very I've been kind of self-absorbed this week. <laughs> it's been I've been thinking of myself a lot. And uh, so I'm going to be speaking of these things in a personal kind of way. But but this is also how to pray for yourself, how to pray for every Christian when these crises like this come. And my first request this is the most obvious one. And this one happens a lot. And I'm glad for it. But I but I my first request is that you pray that I will be made well. Philippians 4, 6, Robin read it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication. Supplication is asking. Uh, let your requests be made known to God. Let your request, your request. Well, my request is that I be made well. Uh, that's what I want. How thankful I would be and will be. I think this has happened and will be happening. If you were to approach the throne of grace with my request, that my request would be a part of your request too, that God would give me the desire of my heart concerning this illness. I want to continue. I want to continue in life. That's my request. Let your request be made known to God. I want to continue in life. I want to continue in ministry. I want to continue to work. I want to continue to enjoy my family. I want to live. Uh, life is good. And I, like everybody, want more of it. I don't apologize for that request. It's a very, very biblical thing to do to ask the Lord for healing. Uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are practically made out of people coming to Jesus, asking him to heal, or asking him to heal themselves, or asking him to heal someone they care about. Matthew 15, and great crowds came to him, bringing him with bringing with him the lame, the, bringing to him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put him at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So without apology, I put myself in the same crowd. Stick me in between the lame and the halt to the blind and the deaf. I want a place. I want to touch the hem of that garment. I want to be made well, and I'd thank you for caring enough to lay me, be like these people bringing their loved ones, their friends before the feet of Jesus uh, and for healing and asking the Lord to heal. Matthew 9 says, and Jesus, 9.35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction, which places cancer right in Jesus' healing wheelhouse. He may heal, he may not, but he's not going to say, 
I don't do cancers, just blindness and lameness and leprosy and demon possession. <laughs> Heal every disease. So without apology, I ask that you pray that the this coming battle against this cancer would be successful. But don't stop there in your prayers. Like so many of our prayers for the sick do. They just stop right there. Heal them, Lord. Heal them. Because there really are more important things. There really, really are more important things than me getting better. And like I say, this is about you and this is about every, every Christian, every Christian. More important things than you getting better. There are more important things than someone else you care about, love, getting better. So secondly, I ask, pray for a faith that will not fail no matter what. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul, clearly contemplating the end of his own life, he writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Well, when the crisis comes, not everybody keeps the faith. Not everybody. Some lose faith. Or they, or they lose some part of their faith. They imagine that God has turned away from them. Or God, they imagine that God has abandoned them, so they abandon God. Or they turn away from Him. Some get mad at God for letting the bad thing happen or letting the bad thing continue. And, and really, sometimes, especially after doing what Philippians 4 says, after they've poured out their heart to God, you know, they've let their request be made known to God, and they've really poured out their hearts. They prayed like they never prayed before. It's their Gethsemane, you know, like almost like, sweat dropping like you know like drops of blood it's their gethsemane they're they're really pouring themselves out and then sometimes if the prayers are not answered as asked uh, some people as a result get disillusioned uh, get disillusioned with god or they lose faith in god's goodness perhaps they lose faith in God's love for them. And, and some lose faith in God's existence altogether. You know, God, I mean, God, who let things turn out some way we didn't expect, we didn't want, when we prayed so hard. 2 Corinthians 4 says, so we do not, 4, 6, we do not lose heart Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. But ironically, this is what happens sometimes. Some people do lose heart. They do lose heart. 
Because, this is ironic, but it's because God is letting the outer self waste away. I didn't want the outer self to waste away. He's let it waste away. You know, I've done. So, yes, I'm losing heart. God's supposed to take care of me, they say, or they think. But it isn't the state of our outer self, our body, that indicates the state of ourselves, but it is the state of our faith that indicates the wellness of our souls. I always think, I mean, you're probably tired of hearing it, but on this point, I always, I can't help it, I always think of Jesus telling Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And so what's more important to Jesus, that Peter not be sifted like wheat, or that Peter's faith would not fail in the time of testing that the, the Satan is demanding to what? Break him. What's Satan demand in this? Uh, what, what does he want? When he's sifting Peter like weak, what does he want? He wants to show Peter and his faith in Christ to be a fraud. To be something that really doesn't undergird him when he's really being broken down. The spiritual economy of heaven, this is hard, but the spiritual economy of heaven puts no value at all on a trial-free life. That's what we'd like, right? We'd like to live a long time, long, long, long time, and pass in our sleep with no, you know, with no, no trials in between. Heaven puts no value on that at all. But it puts a very high value on a faith that proves genuine in the trial, through the trial, that God allows for that very purpose. Not only allows that God arranges for that very purpose. It's St. Peter, after sifted like wheat, passing the test, not easily, not with flying colors, but passing. He lived to tell others this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials test the genuineness of Christian faith so pray for a faith 
that will not fail, that will pass the test given. And that's for me, yes, but it's for you too. It's for you too. And for others, every Christian you know is going through a significant trial like this. God allows these things. He brings these things. And, and passing, as hard as it is for us to think about, because we care about ourselves very deeply. And we don't like to suffer. Passing the test of faith is more important than those things that are at risk in the, that we perceive as being at risk in the trial. You know, your, your health, your possessions, your, your life. So pray for a faith that passes the test given. Pray that my, third I ask, pray that my, my hope will rest in God. And I believe I'm talking about something more here than a, than a faith that will not fail. I, I think it, I'm speaking of something more than that. Uh, something higher and deeper than that. Hence, the two words different from faith, hope and, and rest. You know, after getting this hard news Tuesday morning, on Wednesday morning, I came across a verse in 2 Corinthians that jumped off the page at me. You know how that happens sometimes. I wasn't looking for the verse. It's an amazing thing. I was not looking for the verse, and I know, I mean, it was in 2 Corinthians. I know I've read it many times. I, I, I had to have read it many times. And uh, but I really I had mostly forgotten about it. And so when I did read it, it had kind of had that first reading feel to it, you know, that like something you had read over a lot of times but didn't notice. Paul was writing about his troubles and his missionary party experienced in Asia. You know, when you read the book of Acts, there's a few things he might be talking about, you know, when he talks about a trouble in Asia. He had more than one place where he had trouble in Asia, so we don't know what, quite what he was talking about. But here's the verse, it's 2 Corinthians 1.9. And you, you think of this, when I read it, you've got to think of me, you know. <laughs> Reading less than, uh, less than 24 hours into this uh, news that I got. Here's 2 Corinthians 1.9. Indeed, we felt that we had received... The sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Can you imagine being me sitting there reading? <laughs> That's just, you know, reading this and wow, you know, it just jumps off the page at you. You know, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Are they tell me about it? <laughs> But that's just how it happened. What, what a gift of God that my eyes fell on that verse at that time. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul is saying that God allowed and even intended that feeling of utter, what? Uh, vulnerability, helplessness. Uh, to make them and me 
and you and other other believers that we pray for in these kinds of situations that God intended that so that feeling and that sense so that we they we you me would not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead you know I I listen to John Piper a, a lot he's he's one of the preachers that I like to listen to I don't I don't agree with everything he preaches sometimes on something like this he he seems to, to me to come very close to calling the evil thing good and you know I will not do that I'll give God praise for using things to his good purposes but uh, I don't think we should be confused between good and evil death is an evil it's the last enemy cancer is not a good thing even if good God uses it to his purposes if it's a good thing, we will, it's something good we'll be deprived of in heaven, isn't it? So I don't go with him with everything, but there are echoes of his, on, on something like this, there are echoes of John Piper uh, because he's, I, I love how he, he, he loves John Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, and, and I do too, and a lot of his, a lot of Jonathan Edwards is in John Piper, and, and so there are echoes of his thought in this because he really helped me over the years to reconnect uh, sanctification and salvation and not think of salvation as a fire insurance policy that you just cash in at the end but that it's this that it in, salvation involves the affections and loving the Lord and and you know becoming close to the Lord and, and maturing in Christ and that it's all of a piece but he wrote on the evening before his surgery for prostate cancer he wrote this the lure when you have something like this, the lure to know more and more about cancer and the lack of zeal to know God more and more is symptomatic of unbelief. He says cancer is meant to waken us to the reality of God. To, it's meant to put feeling and force behind the command. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord, quoting Hosea 6.3. I, I want my hope and my rest beyond a faith that doesn't fail, but my hope to rest to be in God. Not in, well, like not in what? Not in survival uh, percentages uh, published on the internet. Uh, not in horses and chariots or even excellent doctors but in the Lord and I and I covet your prayers that that would be the case Philippians 4 urges us to let a request be made known to God here's the promise associated with that command if you do that verse 7 and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus this is seems it seems like it feels beyond just keeping the faith to rest in God's peace to rest in God himself who is peace there's a at our Greenfield Bible study there's a woman by the name of uh, Millie oh you have to be old with the name Millie right her name is Millie you don't see many Millies 
but she's be- she's become a she's faithful faithfully attends the uh, Bible study at at Greenfield. Uh, she lost her husband. Her it was first it was her and her husband. She lost her husband. She's been there. That's been more than a, a year or two ago. She said, uh, I have to tell you this, and not my notes, but uh, when her husband, her husband had uh, dementia type problems, uh, but she's, she's sharp as a tack and, and always was. He died a couple of years ago, like I said, but she said to me one time after, after teaching when he was still living, they were leaving the Bible study. And she said, boy, she said, we so appreciate you coming out. She said, I could listen to you talk for two hours. And I said, well, don't tell me that. I could probably talk two hours. And her husband said, I know that's right. <laughs> well, he's passed. When you see, kind of a backhanded compliment. I don't know. <laughs> well, when you see Millie, and this is ever since she's been there, you know, this, when you see her, her appearance takes you aback. It's hard not to, you know, it's hard not to stare or, or either look away or stare because she's obviously had a surgery that, that took away uh, most of uh, her, oh, it's on her right side, her, most of her right cheekbone up here and, and it seems like a, a good part of her upper jaw and a good part of her lower jaw. So she's, you know, really... She's got a, you know, it's it's hard to look at, you know, and it's it's, uh, you know, the th- she's just kind of caved in on that part of her, of her face, and I, I, you know, I really don't notice it anymore. She's just Millie, but we really, when you first meet her, it, it's hard not to be taken aback. But she said to me this week, she's putting her hand up here where that is, and she said, uh, this happened 15 years ago. 15 years ago. And before it happened, I thought of myself as close to the Lord. And she said, and I guess I was. But this brought me closer to the Lord than I ever thought possible in the 15 years since. And there are, this is not her speaking, this is me, but there are faith skills to be learned in the school of trial and suffering that cannot be learned outside of it. And so pray that my hope and yours and yours will rest in God. Fourth, and there are echoes of Piper in here, but I believe them to be true. And I, and, uh, But pray, fourthly, that I will weigh sin less casually than before. This is one of the first things we learn. The the wages of sin, this is one of the first things we learn as Christians, right? The wages of sin is death, right? Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. That does not mean that every death is some sort of direct punishment of God for personal sin, right? Although we do see instances in the scriptures of this, we do see times when there, when there is a you know a sentence of death, or where there is this punishment or a discipline or so, you know that God is so and so did evil and the Lord took him. There are instances of that, 
But really, that's not what it's talking about. The wages of sin is death. It means that death is the final and inescapable outcome for all who live in a fallen creation that has been utterly corrupted by sin. It means that in this fallen and sin-sick world, illness and other evils will fall indiscriminately on the living as night follows day. And death is inevitable for all. And as Christians, we should never lose that biblical connection, that biblical and theological connection and real connection between what? Sickness and sorrow and mourning and crying and pain and death, the connection of that and sin, which is the ultimate cause of it all. Now think of it this way. The reason why, and we're all looking forward to this, the reason why there is coming a time with no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, no more mourning, no more death, is not because King Jesus is going to be so good at all the latest techniques and you know the, the, all, the, all the ways to cure things like this. No, that's not why there's coming a time with no more sickness, sorrow, pain, mourning, death. There's coming a time of like that because Jesus is going to remove our sins and its effects as far from us as east is from west. Uh, the root cause will be removed. Sin and all its terrible effects will be eradicated from the creation. It's It's sin. <laughs> At the, at the root of all of this. You know, I've, I've been feeling something in, like in here. I've been feeling something uh, for about a month. And as long as I thought it was a trifle-like acid reflux, which, you know, everybody expected, it didn't bother me so bad. But now I know what it is. And it's something that hates me and means to kill me if it can. And it's a very strange feeling to have something in you that you sense pretty much all the time that is an absolutely hostile force that's committed to your destruction. And I think the natural and right response is to hate it back. But I had something in me all along that hates me and is committed to my destruction and you have it too the Bible calls it sin and the, and the right and proper and good thinking um, posture is to hate it back the wages of sin is death and when the wages draw near to you when it comes close when it draws near and show sin not to be mere trifles, but something that's really bent on your destructions. If at that point, if, it, if when it draws near to you or some, if at that point your besetting sins still have the same allure, still have the same attraction, then you are missing a very important point. You're missing something. That You're missing that cancer and all other kinds of things like that 
they are not our biggest they're not our real enemy they're not our biggest enemy that's just the fruit of it it's just the sign of it it's just the evidence of it it's what it really is 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 sin and our appetite for it the pride the greed the lust the hatred the unforgiveness the impatience the laziness whatever it might be in any particular circumstance peter says beloved i urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and this awful reality of the fruit of sin this this awful taste you know you say something like cancer it has a terrible taste in your mouth you know it's just it's it's a nasty word you know it, it feels um foul that's something I don't ever want to forget, even if God is gracious and God is merciful, merciful and delivers from the present distress. So I do pray, and, and you pray for yourself, for, for me, for yourself, and every Christian you know going through a crisis like this, that they will weigh sin that they'll draw that connection not personal god's getting me for something i did but uh unless that's the case <laughs> but weigh it recognize it for what it is it's bad it's awful it hates you it's not a trifle don't say oh that's just the way i am that's one of the things i do i could do worse don't say that fifth pray that i you we all will not grieve as to those who have no hope you know when someone when someone we love appears to be or may be you know approaching death we be we really do we begin we begin to grieve before they're gone and this is part of the training i've had but uh terminally ill people and i've not been designated that i want to say that i haven't been designated that but they grieve too because they grieve not only their own earthly lives but they also grieve those all of those they'll be departing from you know all the loved ones and friends and everybody in the family they're grieving they're anticipating the loss of this one person well they're looking at the loss of fellowship with all of them with all of them and it isn't as though grieving itself is a sin it's not paul wrote to the church of philippi for example I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And some translations say grief upon grief. He's saying it was a double blessing that Epaphroditus has made well because it's a blessing to him and it's a blessing to me. But he also says if it had gone the other way, I'd have had grief on grief. So it isn't grieving or sorrow that's not befitting us, but the Bible teaches, and it must be so if our faith is intact, that we do not grieve as do those who have no hope. As one of the things I say it funerals of believers frequently in christ our goodbyes are not forever they are just for now and they're for a time that only seems long when you're in it 
but it pales in insignificance to the eternity that awaits. There's resurrection yet to come, and even people in heaven are looking forward to it. There's reunion to come. You know, one of the verses that's comforting at, uh, at Greenfield, uh, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. Multi-generational fellowship in eternity to come. There's a new heaven and a new earth where every tear be wiped away. Death will be no more. God will be our God. We will be his people. Earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we grieve, but not without the salve of, uh, of hope and the promises of God, which means that we simply cannot grieve as do those who have no hope. Death is an enemy. But for those who are in Christ, it can't take anything away from us forever except the flesh that so loves to sin. There will come a day, there will come a day when we will sing and shout, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Sixth, Pray that I will, and you, when you're into something like this, and other believers you know and care about, will count my blessings, not my disappointments. I, I can't give you chapter and verse on this, I, um, so I may be veering from teaching the Bible into opinionating, but I believe, and I haven't ferreted out the Bible and see if there's any kind of biblical justification for this, but I, but I really do believe that just about every person experiences enough loss, enough disappointment, enough evil in their lives to be sour, dour, self-pitying, miserable, if they are of a mind to be that kind of person. If you want to be that person, there's probably enough terrible things in your life and things that are disappointments and all of that that, that will justify it for you. My, my dad put it this way, he told me, some people aren't happy unless they're miserable. <laughs> And in the same way, just about every person, those same people, have experienced enough blessing and good in their lives and good things and good gifts to be happy if they're of a mind to be. Now, that's just a theory of mine, but I'm, but I'm on sure ground in this. How can someone whom God has saved in the course of their life how can someone who is blind but been made to see, how can someone who is outside of Christ and without hope in the world and been brought into the household of faith, been brought into fellowship with Christ, how can, how can someone like we sing has come to be made to know, not by any doing of mind, but to know the surpassing value of knowing Christ and been blessed with, you know, with a family, with, with a wife and, and children and, and the larger family of of um, of the church, how can and given promises, the promises that are yet to come, how can that person just look at their life and just see disappointment and see what they didn't get and what they didn't have, what do you know what a drag it was, how awful it was, 
how other people got more or better or something like that. How can that be? How can that person be consumed with a sense of disappointment and loss? I, I heard Randy Alcorn uh, say in a, in a teaching in Sunday school class recently, he's talking about the coming glories of the new heavens and the new earth. And he said, he said, no Christian, because of these promises of the Lord, no Christian needs a bucket list. No Christian should, you know, really have a, but things you have to get in. Because our lives are not confined to this life. Far from it. So pray that I will be able to say from my heart, from my heart, and this is for you too, and for other believers you know, just like the man after God's own heart, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Last thing. Pray that I will do this, whatever this turns out to be, well. In, per, in Peter's first epistle, he writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. If I might paraphrase that last verse, he says, don't, just don't just be the kind of shepherd who tells people things be the kind who shows people things uh, show the people how to deal with the assignment you've been given you know it's a, it's really it's an undeniable truth isn't it there's more teaching goes on in the showing than in the telling that's true of parenting you know that's true of teaching that's true of pastoring and over the years, how many dozens and dozens of times, in a small church, it always has been, but really, dozens and dozens of times, I've looked into the eyes of a fellow believer in the midst of a crisis like mine, or, or worse than mine, more immediate, more pressing than mine, or even on their deathbed, where everybody knew they were on their deathbed. And I looked in their eyes and admonished them and encouraged them, uh, to trust the Lord, to cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you, uh, to rest in His peace, to trust in His promises, and to entrust themselves to Him, uh, to close their eyes in peace. To, it's fine. Close your eyes in peace, knowing that those who belong to Christ will live even if they die. Well, you know, frankly, it wouldn't do at all for me of all people in my time of trial to panic to despair to lose heart to get angry at God to doubt his love for me to doubt his goodness or any of those things that are tinged 
with unbelief. But I don't presume to think that I can do all of these things apart from divine enablement. So I ask for your prayers that whatever the future holds that I will prove to be, in that last part, be an example to do this assignment, whatever it is, whatever it is. I'm not getting ahead of myself. To do it well. The last six things, I, may, I, I ask you to pray that I'd be made well. That was first. And I really mean it. <laughs> Start there. <laughs> but the other six things I mentioned, really, you know what? Are more important. They're more important. They're more important for me, but they're all there, and they're also more important for you. It's more important that you keep the faith, that your hope and trust be in God that you not grieve as do those who have no hope that you pass the assignment whatever assignment is given you over the course of your life it's more important if you belong to him Lord thank you for inviting us to simply present our request to you to cast our anxieties on you because you care for us like the loving father you are you delight in giving good gifts to your children you don't give us a stone when we ask for a loaf. You don't give us a snake when we ask for a fish. Help us all, not just me, but all of us, to come to you in simple faith in our times of crisis, knowing, assuming, knowing your love for us, knowing your goodness, and just asking for what we want. But we also ask for a faith and a stronger faith that will hold up in whatever trials you allow for our testing, for our perfecting. Give each of us grace to draw near to you when we really need to be nearer to you, to rest in your everlasting arms, knowing that we've not trusted in Christ for this life only and that you are good all of the time. Increase faith in every believing heart here today and let faith spring up in any who are now outside of Christ and without hope in the world, this world or the next, that they might be saved that you would be glorified, and that our joy would be made full. Amen.